Okay, first, I was scolded for this, so I hope I can help everyone out. It's Downton Abbey, not downtown, like downtown Phoenix. Okay, the rest of you can't see this, but I am literally face-palming right now. Tuesday, you're freaking adorable. Whatever, it's not like I know anything about this show, so... <laughs> well, she's Tuesday, I'm Kaylee. Mind your manners and get ready to bow to the queen. This is Whiskey and Popcorn. After six juicy seasons of family machinations, we return to Downton Abbey in this feature-length movie by the same name. Creator of the series Julian Fellows helmed the script for the movie, which is really a relief in many ways as he came up with the entire show. Fans of the show will not have too much to worry about as far as tone or characters changing. The king and queen are coming to Downton. What? I want every surface to gleam and sparkle. A royal luncheon, a parade, and a dinner. I'm going to have to sit down. How's it all going? Mary's got it under control. Hardly. There are a ton of cast members. I could barely keep track at first. Kaylee, can you walk us through this? Yes, uh, let me get all my uh, papers here. Because the list is quite uh, extensive. Okay, so let's start with the upstairs. We have Hugh Bonneville, who's Mr. Crawley. His wife, Mrs. Crawley, is played by Elizabeth McGovern. Their two daughters are Lady Mary, played by Michelle Dockery, and Lady Edith, who is Laura Carmichael. The son-in-law, Tom Branson, is played by the very delicious Alan Leach. The immutable Grand Dame, Dowager Countess of Grantham, is played by the amazing Maggie Smith. Isabel Gray, the Baroness of Merton, is played by Penelope Wilton. And that's just the upstairs. Now for the downstairs. Jim Carter is Mr. Carlson, the butler emeritus, I guess we could call him at this point. Leslie Nickel is the cook, Mrs. Patmore. Her assistant, Daisy, is played by Sophie McShira. Robert James Collier reprises his role as Mr. Barrow, the current butler. Ms. Baxter is played by Raquel Cassidy. Mr. Bates is Brendan Coyle. Mrs. Bates is Joanne Froggett. And I think that should get us through the main cast. There are a bunch of new faces as well just for this movie, but we're, we're just not going to dive into that. Again, so many names. I just, I couldn't. Anyway... The story in this movie is pretty straightforward. Set in the mid-1920s, so that's going to be after World War I, but before World War II. The King and Queen of England are touring the country and will be spending one night in Downton before they travel on to their next destination. This sets us off a flurry of preparations in both the Grand House and in the nearby town. Okay, so Tuesday, you never watched the show. Oh, I went in completely blind. Uh, Kaylee, you did get pretty far in the series, though, right? Yeah, so I got up to about season four before I kind of fell off the cart, uh, the, the wagon here. 
not for lack of enjoyment. I really did enjoy it, but it just became like I had caught up with all the seasons and I was waiting for the next ones to come out and then I just didn't go back to it. But I really, really enjoyed the series. There's so many layers. For any fans of the show, you know that between the upstairs machinations and the downstairs connivings, like there's a lot to unpack here. But Tuesday, for somebody who has never seen the series, who came into it, like you said, very blind, uh, how was it watching this movie without any background? To be honest, this is a situation where you kind of need to know what's going on in the show to know really the nuances of the movie. Now, I did catch on after a while, but you can tell that these characters have long-standing history together, and I kind of felt like I was being left out of a joke a lot of the time. Yeah, I can see how it could be very confusing coming in without knowing who these characters are, because a lot of their, their backstories are already established. You know who these people are. You've been through the incredible ups and downs that I feel like it'd be hard to catch up. Like, you'll get a sense of the pecking order, but the history and the snide back and forth between all the characters, it, it, you could get lost, I think. And it sounds like you might have. Right, so while I can discuss overarching themes and even kind of the flow and the feel of the movie, Kaylee is gonna take kind of the front row seat in this review because she has that background history and a little bit more about the nuances. Yeah, for sure. I think, like I said before, you know, fans of the show are gonna really be able to sink their teeth into. Nothing has changed as far as character development. Um, the story itself, even though this is in real time, four years later, it, as far as I could tell, more or less picks off where season six ended. Mind you, I did not get through season six, uh, but this is just from some little background research I did. So, you know, Lady Mary is remarried as well as Lady Edith. Mr. and Mrs. Bates have all their challenges resolved, it seems like. Mr. Barrow is in charge, whereas Mr. Carson's kind of taking a retirement backseat, but he does come back for this movie. Um, so as far as the story itself, the king and queen coming around, of course, Downton is like, oh my gosh, we got to get ready for the king and queen. And this is at a time when a lot of these big houses are essentially being shut down. Like there's not the money to support the income to keep these houses going. People have left for the cities. You know, it's a time of change. Uh, the modern world is coming in full force and intruding. So Lady Mary, who's essentially taking over from her parents for the most part, is trying to figure out what, what should she do as she steps into the leadership role of the family. Does she continue to find a way to make Downton Abbey work? Do they, you know, shut down half the house and let go some of the staff? Do they completely downsize and shut down the whole house? So there's this undercurrent that's going through the film while they're also hurriedly polishing all the silver and blowing the dust off the crystal and making everything polish and shine to like absolute pristine awesomeness, I guess you could say. So there's that undertone. And then with the upstairs, downstairs, of course, um, you have Thomas Barrow, who those fans of the show know all his amazing ups and downs. And um, him being the leader, well, he gets kind of pushed aside again. Um, and this is kind of Lady Mary having gone to Mr. Carson saying, we need you like Mr. Barrow is not doing what I'm asking him to do. So her, again, kind of stepping in it and 
doesn't care whose toes she steps on, she takes the reins. So of course we have the Dowager Countess of Grantham, Maggie Smith. She's my favorite character in the whole series. She always has a snide remark for every situation and she's still going at it. So with her story, it's her cousin who is essentially part of the queen's entourage, queen's lady in waiting, although I don't think that's quite the correct title for her. And the Dowager Countess wants her cousin to name her son, Lord Grantham, as the heir. So that will bring them kind of one step closer to royalty, if you will. And uh, she, the cousin, does not want to do this because, uh, I won't spoil this, she has a very strong reason to not pass on the, the heirship to her nephew, essentially. But the whole film, the Dowager Countess is like trying to fight for her son, which she's always, she's always championed the, the family. Uh, so that's nothing new, but her conniving is still as sharp as ever. And that really sees through whether you've seen the show or not. Maggie Smith is incredibly hilarious in it. And you can just tell that she's older and she doesn't care what people think anymore. And she just wants to figure out how she can get her way and nothing else. And it's amazing. The same with the kind of relationships between the lower level downstairs people and the upstairs people. Uh, that's always very interesting in, uh, under any one household. Yeah, and I think that's one of the successes of the show is seeing the dynamics between the upstairs and, and the downstairs. So it's like the front of the house and the behind the scenes, if you will. And it's a way of life that we just don't see anymore in this day and age, definitely not here in the United States. So, but question for you Tuesday, how did you feel about the, the pacing of the story? Do you feel like it was a good flow? Yeah, usually with situations where it's all leading up to some grand event or some grand climax to the story, it always has that anticipation and that really built well with the, the movie. I mean, I guess some people would think it was slow, but I didn't think it felt like that whatsoever. Yeah, no, I think, if anything, if we want to be really hypercritical here, is that it felt fast because <laughs> the drama is what really drives Downton Abbey, and you had to fit all the drama within a two-hour span instead of, like, an entire season where it could be really drawn out. But that could also be to the film's benefit because sometimes the show could feel really drawn out. Uh, so... I think it was a nice pace. Uh, the story, while I felt like maybe not the strongest arc, was still enjoyable and it worked for the amount of time that we had to, to work with with the feature length film. So this is interesting. Uh, fans of the show already know that Thomas Barrow, the current butler now, um, he is gay and he's been gay and it's something that he struggled with throughout the series. But um, Tuesday coming into it as not seeing the show again, like, how did you think that character portrayal was handled, uh, knowing that you are part of the LGBTQ community? And also, did it surprise you to see this, that kind of character in this film? You know, they had undertones when Thomas meets some other people that are visiting, and you go, oh, like, that's why they want to hang out with each other when they're not working. And then... I really enjoyed how they portrayed the fact that, yes, there were these kind of secret speakeasies where uh, LGBTQ people would meet up, and then, of course, it would get raided, very similar to decades later, 
in New York when similar bars would get raided because, you know, there was X-rated things going on. And it, it, but it was very on par with the time and how it was portrayed. And it's just a, we don't ask questions. Like you just decided to stay a single bachelor because you were dedicated to your life as a butler or, you know, whatever story that you decide to, to make to justify your ability to not be married and things of that nature. But no, I thought it was beautifully done and very accurate. And that's just a small thread uh, within the whole film. And again, that's what Downton Abbey does best. You have all these little storylines and they all interweave really well together. So I guess to kind of wrap up this review, the sense of finality, is this it for Downton or could it go on? I mean, speaking from my position, I, I really feel like they put a nice bow on it, but this is not totally wrapped up. Like the door is open where they could revisit Downton in another film or shorter season. It'd be interesting to see where they would take it as far as World War II on the horizon. Of course, this is the mid 20s, so there's a ways to go. You know, would Downton shut down? And then would that really change the nature of the show? Like, would it be Downton Abbey anymore? I don't know. But the writer, Julian Fellows, he's just an incredible storyteller. So if he were to continue it in some fashion, I'm sure it would still be amazing. But there's a lot to unpack here, and I think fans of the show will really enjoy this movie. I recommend it if you've seen the series. What about you, Tuesday? I mean, I want to go back, even if it's just for the Thomas Barrow story, I do want to go back and watch it. But due to time restraints, I couldn't do quite the catch-up I wanted to before the premiere. But this has been something that's been on my list to try out for for several years now, and my British in-laws will probably be very upset that I haven't seen the show, uh, but I know that my parents and in-laws talk about the show all the time, so it's about time I caught, I caught up. Well, I'll rewatch with you. How about that? Deal. It's a date. I'm thirsty after all that talking. <laughs> Ooh, and you know, it was prohibition during that time. At least in the U.S., not in the U.K. Thank goodness for oh. that. Thank goodness. You the UK had the right sense, but us, not so much. <laughs> so um, I was thinking about that time and how gin was a very popular drink of the 1920s. You found it kind of everywhere, particularly in Prohibition, United States. So uh, I'm going with a vintage cocktail called a Gin Ricky. It's very simple. It's just gin, lime juice, and seltzer, which sounds like a good time to me. Um, apparently, uh, this was a drink, uh, a favorite drink of F. Scott Fitzgerald, which he references in one of his scenes in The Great Gatsby. So fans of The Gatsby might recognize this cocktail. Maybe you've had it. Fancy. Uh, I, too, went down the Prohibition route, and I am going to be drinking The Bee's Knees. It, too, is a gin drink, but this was known as a bathtub gin-based cocktail with honey, lemon juice, and orange juice. The sweet ingredients were an attempt to offset the pain of the hooch gin. Oh my gosh, sounds incredible. Well, it's time for us to call this review well done and carry this party to the next room. But if you're thirsting for some movie reviews, news, and interviews, subscribe to us. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And don't forget to bookmark our website, whiskeyandpopcorn.org. Like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we'll see you at the talkies.